You know, one of my favorite things to do this time of year is play Christmas carols on repeat wherever I am. Doesn't matter, okay? When I'm in the car driving, if it's not playing on the radio, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll, you know, play it from my phone and just play the Christmas carols over and over. When we're at home, we'll have it playing on our speaker. We even have this, like, DVD. It's a uh, fireplace. We don't have an actual fireplace, so we just put it up on a screen. And, it, you know, it's maintenance-free fire. It's amazing, right? It's got this, like, you know, the logs and crackling noises. And in the background, you hear Christmas carols. And it's just this wonderful DVD. We play it and just have it playing, you know, over and over. It's just awesome. And uh, I like to start all this Christmassy stuff uh, early, actually. We, we do it quite early. And my kids are always like, you know, why, why, why already? You know, I'm like, it's October. What are you talking about? Of course we should. It's already October, <laughs> you know. It's only two months till Christmas, of course, you know. That's right. It's the Asian way, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't grow up uh, celebrating Christmas too, too much. And so I'm actually making up for it now, you know, by every year. You know, just starting of November, it starts. Is there anyone else like that here? Oh, good. I'm not alone. Sweet. Right? As soon as November hits, right, the trees, the tree comes up, the lights are out, and then you hear the caroling. It's just, it's so great, right? It's just so awesome to hear that. Uh, Wherever you go, you're driving in the car, you hear it on the radio, you're shopping. You know, just the other day, I was at Dollarama, and uh, I I, I wasn't really paying attention until all of a sudden I heard the the phrase, um, it was Silent Night. It was the phrase, oh, what was it? It was... um, Ah, forgetting the ex- actual line. But anyways, Silent Night was playing on, on the, you know, on the overhead. I was like, oh, wow, and all these people are listening to Silent Night. Gee, it was, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. And I'm like, you know, pushing the cart. Like, Whoa, that's awesome. There's worship music playing in Dollarama. I mean, this is amazing, isn't it? Right? It's so wonderful. I love this time of year. And so this year for our Christmas series, what I thought we would do is look at four of the most popular Christmas carols. And um, we're going to look at one each Sunday, um, the most popular ones that we sing in churches, that you hear in the malls, the shopping centers, and so on, the ones that you hear all the time. Uh, We're going to be discovering the message of Christmas that each of these carols brings to us uh, every season. And today we're going to look at the famous carol, Joy to the World. Will you pray with me? God, we just, once again, are so thankful for who you are. Uh, We're so thankful that you are a God who who came down. You sent your son for us. Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Lord. Father, we pray right now that this message would speak to our hearts. Would you speak to my heart too, Lord? That we may experience the joy that you bring, not just in this season, but all the time. So Father, we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy to the world was written by a guy named Isaac Watts. Have you ever heard the name Isaac Watts? Famous, famous hymn writer. 
Um, he was born in 1674. It's a long time ago. And um, it was, he was a, 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 a pastor, theologian, and hymn writer. And it was in his uh, early 20s where he began to serve in a church. He began preaching uh, in his 20s. And actually, it was around that time when he started writing his hymns. And uh, a bulk of his hymns were written actually during his 20s and 30s. And uh, one of the famous ones that he wrote was, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Uh, that was written by Isaac Watts in 1707. Now, 12 years later, after he became a veteran hymn writer, he wrote, in 1719, he wrote Joy to the World. And so that was nearly 300 years ago that this hymn was written. And you know, little did he know that Joy to the World, this hymn that he wrote, would be so popular and it would just strike the chords of, of hearts all over the world for generations. This song has been sung in churches everywhere for years and years and years, generation after generation. This song has been translated many times over. Just the other day, I was listening to it in Korean. I mean, joy to the world in Korean. You know, that, that's so awesome. I was hearing that. I'm like, whoa, Isaac Watts, it's in Korean, man. Like, that, you must be happy in heaven hearing that, right? So it's just, it's so amazing. And not only that, we hear like new renditions of this song almost every year with the popular recording artists, you know, releasing their version. It's just, it's so famous, right? It's so popular. Now, one thing that we may not realize is that Joy to the World, when, when Isaac Watts wrote this, um, he was inspired by um, the psalm, Psalm 98. In fact, this is what Psalm 98 says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And so when we read Psalm 98, you may have noticed that there's a word that is repeated over and over again in that psalm, and it is the word joy. Joy. Psalm 98 is all about joy. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. Break forth in joyous praise and singing. It's this continuous command to be joyful. But how? How do we remain Joyful. How do we get to that place of expressing joy? Because here's the thing about joy. Joy is a response of the heart. Joy is a response to something that we find joy in. Joy needs an object to generate 
the feelings of joy. Right? That's the thing about joy. We need something to generate the joy within our hearts, within our souls. Now, at Christmas time, the season can generate those feelings of joy. All the tinsel, the lights, the caroling. It's very cheerful. It really is. Right? It can generate those feelings of joy. In fact, if you, if you go on Netflix, there's this uh, documentary on Netflix called Christmas Cracker. I've been watching it kind of over and over again because it's fascinating to me. And it's all about people who celebrate Christmas every day of the year. Like, all, all the time. Their, their decorations are up all year round. And I, and I was thinking, I was like, I could probably do that, you know? <laughs> Allie's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, October, at least starting in October. <laughs> you know? No. But uh, no, there's people who celebrate Christmas every day of the year. Why? Because it brings them joy, right? Christmas has the potential to do that. But Christmas, this season, can also be a time of great hardship. Christmas can also be a time that generates a lot of stress, despair. Christmas can be a very depressing time. I was just out at Walmart the other day, and I was just picking up some things for the kids. And it was late. It was, it was just before closing time. And there was um, some people ahead of me in the, uh, in the line for the, uh, at the cashier. And uh, I wasn't really paying attention to what was being said. But anyway, they, were, uh, they seemed kind of grouchy. But uh, they ended up you know, going, and it was my turn next. And I put my stuff on the conveyor, and I uh, just came up to the cashier. And uh, the cashier just started to uh, open up me she was like you know i just don't understand why people can be so rude you know these the people just before you were uh saying some rude things about me saying i'm such a terrible cashier and all this and i was like really and uh and all of a sudden she caught herself she's like i don't know why i'm telling you this you know and i'm like in my heart i'm like i know why (laughs) i'm a i'm a pastor i guess i get kind of have this effect on people i don't know uh right but um, no, I, I didn't say too much to her. I was just like, you know, I just uh, hope that your, your evening gets better. And, and I was able to pray afterwards. But uh, it got me thinking, you know, that even in the midst of all the decorations, the lights, which are all great, the tinsel, all this stuff, even in the midst of all that, you know, although there are people who can be very merry and bright during the season, there are also people who are very sad, very miserable, very down and depressed. And uh, it, it really can be a hard season for some people. And it's just sad when that kind of, that part, you know, that, that hardship is spread throughout the season as well. And, but, but it's true, Christmas can generate that as well, right? And so, you know, I just want to, I just want to say this. When I talk about joy, right, because that's what we're talking about today, we're talking about joy. I just want us to understand that I'm not forgetting the fact that Christmas can be a very difficult time. And so to talk about joy, it's like, really? For some people, it's not a joyful time. It's very hard. Again, in the midst of the singing and the lights and the gifts and the, all those things, it can be very hard. And joy may seem like a very long distance away f- from people. And, and this can even happen among Christians, among Christians, even Christians who can, you know, who know the message of Christmas during this season can have a very difficult time, a very difficult struggle during the season. 
I was at a funeral just the other day. Um, very tragic. A friend of mine was a pastor. We served together at the Korean church in town here. Um, at the young age of 62, just he passed away. And uh, it was sudden, very quick. Um, he had cancer, and it, it just it was very sudden. And uh, he's leaving behind his wife and two sons, and uh, just very sad. And, you know, for them, Christmas is, is going to be very different this year, to not have their father. And so Christmas can be a very, very difficult time. I understand that. Yet, I still believe in this message. I still believe in the message of joy during this season. And I believe that when we peel back all the glitter, which is great, I love it. I love all the decorations. But when we peel it back, we peel back the stuff that covers this season, we begin to discover the true message of Christmas. And when we discover that, I believe we will find joy even in the midst of sadness and sorrow. And so let's discover that together through this timeless hymn, Joy to the World. So let's look at the first stanza here. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. The first stanza of this hymn teaches us that joy is received when we receive the king. Now in the Bible, not everyone was filled with joy at the news of Jesus' birth. It's true. Not everyone was joyful at the announcement of the coming of Jesus. If you know the story of King Herod, King Herod, the king of the Jewish people, the leader of the Jewish people, was not filled with joy at all. In fact, Herod was threatened by Jesus. We can read about it in Matthew's narrative of the birth story. And what Herod did, because he was threatened, because he felt fear, if you, if you look at the historical um, uh, works on Herod, actually you'll learn a lot about this guy. He was very paranoid. In fact, others, uh, out of fear of others uh, taking over his throne, he had them killed. Uh, he was a very paranoid king. And, so, and we get a glimpse of that in Matthew, um, in Matthew's gospel. Um, but what did Herod do? I mean, he committed genocide at the, at, the, at the news of Jesus' birth. He committed genocide by having all the male children under the age of two killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Wow. At the news of the coming of the Son of God, he was threatened. Even at the birth of Christ, people became violent over the news of his coming. In the world today, that still happens, doesn't it? It still happens in the world today. In the name of Jesus, people feel threatened. In parts of the world, you can be killed for being associated with that name. And you know, it's not only in uh, extreme Muslim countries. It's not only in North Korea, which is the number one persecuting nation of, of Christians. It's not only in these nations where you can get killed for your association with the name of Jesus. It happens in the United States. You remember the story we heard just, what, a couple of weeks ago, right? The church in Texas. Has anyone heard that story? That's horrible. What happened in this church? People are threatened by Jesus. Jesus is perceived as a threat. 
He's perceived as a threat to people's life's aspirations and goals. Jesus is perceived as a threat to people's individuality and self-reliant ideology. Because you see, for some people, some people in the world today, they believe that humanity is the center of the universe. We're the center of the universe and our destiny is ultimately created by us. A lot of people believe that. We are in charge of our destiny. We're the center. And so this message of a king who comes to establish his kingdom, establish his rule and reign on the earth, that's a threat to their livelihood. And we see that in the Bible happening to Herod. Herod's an example of that. A person who was threatened, perceived Jesus as a threat. However, The wise men, on the other hand, had a very different response. Very different response to Herod. Now, I think it's important to note the following. The wise men were not Jewish. They were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? The Jewish, the king of the Jews, did not receive Jesus' news well. The news of Jesus coming well. Yet these Gentile wise men did. That's astonishing. Also, we don't know how many there were. The Bible doesn't say there were three. Although a lot of times our nativity scenes have three wise men, right? Maybe because there's three gifts. Does anyone remember the three gifts? Yeah, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so oftentimes we assume there were three, but to be honest, we, we don't know exactly how many there were. Um, but scholars do, um, are pretty unanimous on the fact that the wise men were from Babylon. And uh, the, the uh, wise men, also called the Magi, were people who practiced astrology and magical arts. That's why they were called Magi. And um, they're from Babylon, and it's likely that uh, these wise men were familiar with Babylonian writings which among them would have been the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, although it's in our Hebrew Bible, it was written in Babylon when the the Babylonians came, took over the the Jewish people, sacked Jerusalem, took the elite back to Babylon. Daniel was one of them. Daniel wrote a book. And um, it's likely that these wise men had, you know, encountered this book, read the book, or heard the Uh, contents of the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel are prophecies of the coming of the Son of God, the Son of Man. Prophecies like this one in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So believing that this prophecy had come to pass in the person of Jesus, through the birth of Jesus, the wise men came to him. And unlike King Herod, who upon hearing the news was threatened, the wise men were filled with joy at the news of the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 to 11 says this, 
when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love those words. I love how the biblical writer, I love, I love how Matthew just drills home their response. They were filled with exceedingly great joy. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? They were filled with so much joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Again, these Gentiles, recognizing who Jesus is, worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men received Jesus as their king. They fell down and worshipped him. And because their hearts were opened to him, they experienced exceedingly great joy. That's what the Bible says, exceedingly great joy from Jesus. Now the second part of the stanza, first stanza in Joy to the World says this, let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy is received when our hearts are opened and we receive the king. Can you remember back at the time when you received Jesus, when your eyes were opened to the gospel and you recognized who Jesus was? Can you think back to that time? Did you feel joy knowing that my sins have been taken away because of what Jesus has done? Because of what God has done? Were you filled with joy? I mean, you know that song? Maybe you sang this song in Sunday school. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And then it goes, and I'm so happy, so very happy. Why? I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Right? And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Right? Let every Heart, prepare him room. When we open our hearts to Jesus, we receive him as king. What happens? We're filled with exceedingly great joy that we sing songs like that one down in my heart and mean it because we're feeling it. That's what happens when we receive the king. We receive joy. But so often the initial joy of receiving the king after some time, maybe a year goes by, two years, ten years goes by, that initial joy sometimes can fade. And it's unfortunate that that happens, but it does happen, doesn't it? At times it does happen. I'm of the belief that it doesn't have to be that way, that the joy of the Lord can be something we continuously live in no matter what circumstances we face in this life i believe we can live in continual joy and i believe the key to this is found in the second stanza 
of joy to the Lord that says this. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Receiving the king is the first step to experiencing great joy. Maintaining the joy, repeating the sounding joy happens as we continue to let Jesus reign in our lives. That we submit to his lordship in our lives. That Jesus becomes our functional Lord. Functional Lord. You see, many people today believe that because they prayed a prescribed prayer, that everything's okay, that they could just live their lives in whatever manner they choose, and they don't submit to the lordship of Jesus in their lives, in their workplace, in their relationships, in their marriages, in their families, in their finances, and it's no wonder that they are not experiencing the joy of the Lord in their lives. The joy begins to get sapped as we do things our own way. And you see, here's the thing about humans. We have a tendency to really mess things up when we do things our own way, don't we? It really does happen. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. Eventually, we are sapped of joy and we do everything to try to reobtain it. Reobtain that joy. We search hard for that joy. We search hard for it in material possessions. We buy the next great product. But it doesn't last. It brings momentary joy when we buy this new thing. It's like, wow, cool, I have this thing. It brings momentary joy, but it fades away. Sometimes an hour later, right? Like a drug, it just, it, it's not real. It's it fades. The, the, the effect doesn't last. And, and you know what? With the way products are made these days, nothing's made to last. Things are made to be broken very quick. Why? So that we continue to discover our, or try to find our soul satisfaction in things, in materials. But it just doesn't happen. And so the search continues. We search for joy in people. We search for joy in places. We search for joy in things. And you know what? It ends up creating stress and unhappiness. It ends up creating grouchiness and irritability. And you know, Christmas has the potential to magnify the effect of this pursuit of happiness and not finding it. And it's like, oh, we, we, it can be very stressful because joy doesn't come from things. It doesn't come from materials. True joy doesn't come from those things. However, Christmas time has the potential to bring us back to the joy that truly, that the, the, the thing that brings us true joy, the person that brings us true joy. Pastor John Piper, I got to tell you, some of the things, if, if you ever get a chance to listen to John Piper, he is oh, profound, the words that come from that man. Uh, just how inspired his preaching is. It's so amazing. He is a leading theologian and scholar on the topic of joy and the gospel. 
And I would encourage you to listen to John, especially on the topic of joy. I mean, he's been through some tough trials, and yet he preaches joy with all his heart and is powerful. And uh, John Piper uh, said this about, the joy, about joy and the gospel. He says, The gospel is the great work of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in which he removes every obstacle to your full and everlasting and all satisfaction, satisfying enjoyment of his glory, and in which he displays the most beautiful portrait of that glory. I know, sometimes you've got to read it again and again. You've got to listen to him. I have to re- rewind what he says again and again just to catch what he's saying. But this is powerful. Upon hearing the gospel... Upon hearing the good news, when we open our hearts and we receive Jesus, we receive him as king, when Jesus Christ is heralded as our functional Lord, Jesus becomes the object of our joy. He becomes the object of our joy, the one in whom our joy is found. He becomes the source of our great joy. And all other things, everything else that once held a place in our hearts, they become distractions. They become obstacles to our maximum enjoyment, maximum experience of joy in this life, which comes from him. God wants you. God wants us to be joyful. Think of how many times the Bible says, Rejoice! 1 Thessalonians 5, be joyful always. It's a command. God wants us to be joyful. He really does. John 15, verse 11. I want to read it to you in the Amplified Version. This is what it says. I have told you these things. That's Jesus. He's telling us these things. So that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be full and complete and overflowing. God wants us to be joyful. And there is a reason why the gospel is called good news. Isn't it wonderful to hear good news? Hey, I've got some good news for you. You got the job. Hey, I've got some good news for you. You got into that school you applied to. I've got good news for you. It's a boy. It's a girl. You won the contest. What happens when you hear good news? Something happens in your soul. It just, it just permeates your whole being. Good news generates joy. So the gospel... The reason why the gospel is called good news is because the goal of the gospel is your joy. The goal of the gospel is for your maximum joy in this life. That nothing would block you from it. That you would experience it. Just like the wise men, exceedingly great joy. That you would have it. It's the joy that the angels came to proclaim to the shepherds. We have good news for you of great joy for all the people. God wants us 
to live in joy. And he does this by being our joy. Mm, Let that sink in. God wants us to live in joy. And he does this by being our joy. Being the object of our soul's deepest satisfaction in this life. It only comes from him. You see that the joy, the joy that the world brings, it will fail. It will fail. As much as I love the carols, the songs, the lights, I love it. I really do. February comes. (laughs) I leave my stuff up until February, by the way, so just so you know. (laughs) But February comes and it's like, oh man, I got to take it all down. And it's like minus 30 outside and dark still. And it's like, oh. The joy that God brings makes you full. Overflowing. Abundant. And it doesn't stop. It keeps going and going. So church, may the Lord become once again the object of your affection and the chief source of your joy this Christmas season. May your soul delight in him and find pleasure in his presence because in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. May all the distractions fade in the distance as you behold the beauty and majesty and glory of Christ Jesus, our King. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let us receive our King. Let's pray. God, we love you. May our affections be conformed to you. And the joy that you bring us as we receive you and continue to honor and glorify you and praise you as our Lord. As you are heralded as our Lord and King. As we forsake the things of this world and direct our attention to you this season, may our joy be complete in you. All this I ask in the mighty strong and powerful name that is above all names. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.